So we come then uh, in our studies of First Peter on this the last uh, Sabbath day of the year, the last day of the year, uh, to think uh, of this further aspect of a Christian in verses 10 to 12 of being privileged. And in order to appreciate the meaning of privileged, uh, which is having special rights or advantages, I want you to compare it with the concept of momentousness. I think that every momentous experience in our lives is not necessarily a privilege, but that every privileged experience in our lives has the elements of momentousness in them. For example, we are living in momentous times politically. The current shift in the political landscape in Northern Ireland and the current shift in the political landscape in the UK whether you find this matter interesting or not, indicates these times are momentous. The anticipated landslide victory of the Labour Party next year in the national elections and the rise of Sinn Féin in Ulster has been an incredible shift within politics. Some of us may never have imagined it would have happened. Historians and analysts will scrutinise these changes in years to come. Terms at university will be devoted to studying them and books will be published about them. But most of us do not feel particularly privileged to be living through these momentous shifts in politics. So we can have momentousness without the sense of privilege. However, there are other situations which are momentous and in which you do feel privileged to have witnessed them or to have been part of them. Perhaps on an occasion you listen to a live performance of the London Symphony Orchestra. You recall it at this very moment and it still sends shivers down your spine, especially that solo violent piece played by a 16-year-old girl. It stunned you and the whole crowd. Everyone instinctively rose to their feet and applauded enthusiastically when she had finished. You could hear a pin drop during the performance. You knew and everyone knew in that moment that the violinist would go on to do great things. And so she has. And you feel privileged to have heard her live while she was still an emerging talent. Or perhaps it was a sporting moment that you remember. You watched an outstanding player or competitor, a master of his game. Ruth and I remember watching the World Championship motorbike trials held on the rocks on the coastal path between Bangor and Crawfordsburn. Don't know if you're there, Jen, or not, but anyway, we, we were there. We did no research on the big names in the sport. It was the world championship element and the good weather that attracted us. However, one competitor among this field of riders from all over the world stood out. D. Lampkin was written on his back. We knew that day while watching him that we were witnessing someone with outstanding talent. He was head and shoulders above the rest 
of the competitors. Subsequently, Doogie Lampkin has gone on to become 12 times world champion. Looking back, we consider it a joy and a privilege to have seen such talent live. And we are using the title privilege in this sermon in the sense of momentous and privileged. The word distinguishes our ordinary, common, regular experiences and situations from those experiences that benefit us in a special way or honour us in a special way. It is the ingredient of special that shifts our experience from the ordinary to the privileged experience. And this is the theme of verses 10 to 12. The point made in this paragraph is that it is a privilege for us to be in the church of Jesus Christ at this time. To witness the things that we have seen and to experience what we have experienced. The readers of this letter, as we know, were scattered through the Roman Empire in the first century. They were suffering for being Christians. And Peter not only reminds them in this opening chapter that they are chosen by God, that they're heirs of heaven, that they can be joyful in trial, but he reminds them of the absolute privilege of being a Christian. To be chosen, to be heirs, to be sustained in trial, to be a Christian. We're to feel the sense of privilege and being a Christian as we end this year. And I'll have failed in my sermon. If you leave church today not thrilled at being a Christian. Or if you're not yet a Christian. And not wanting to be a Christian. Peter mentions three parties to demonstrate our privileged position. Prophets, the Holy Spirit and angels. So let's think of the three ways in which we feel the privilege of being a Christian, our time, our blessings, our experience in relation to those three parties. Firstly, our time. Look at verses 10 to 12 of this first chapter. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you. The first reason that we are privileged and should feel privileged to be a Christian is because much of what the Old Testament prophets both predicted and desired to witness has already happened. What they predicted. Verse 10 states, the prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Peter identifies the major events which the Old Testament prophets predicted as being this salvation and the sufferings of Christ. 
From day one of the fall of man, the prediction of Jesus and salvation is found in the Bible. And it becomes the central message of all of the Old Testament writings and events. In the writings, especially in the prophetic books at the end of the Old Testament, Jesus and his salvation is predicted. Jesus and his life fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies from the Old Testament. In his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testament books. Isaiah describes him in many places. He describes him as Emmanuel, as the suffering servant, as the precious stone. Jeremiah describes him as the branch. Malachi is the son of righteousness. Micah predicts his birth in Bethlehem. Daniel talks of him as the son of man. Every psalm speaks of Jesus, especially those psalms 2, 8, 16, 22, 40, 72, 102, 110, 118. In the writings, the prophets predict Jesus And many events in the Old Testament foreshadowed the coming of the Messiah. The sacrifice of Isaac, which we read together. The wood on the back of Isaac being carried up the mountain. The Passover meal, the Old Testament sacrifices, the serpent lifted on the pole, the rock smitten in the desert, the glory of Solomon's reign, the slaying of Goliath by David, Jonah in the fish. The prophets prophesied about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus and the salvation that he would bring. But they also desired to see those events fulfilled. They desired to witness them themselves, to live in those times that were prophesied. Because they knew that prophesy, prophecy and reality are two different things. The fulfillment of a prophecy is richer than the prophecy. More is often included in the reality and confirmation of the authenticity of the prediction is in the fulfillment. The details of the birth of Jesus recorded in Matthew and Luke are far richer than the prophecies in Isaiah and and Micah. And the Old Testament prophets recognized this. And they not only gave the prophecies, but they longed to have lived in those days. They knew by divine revelation that the key theme of their prophecies would not be fulfilled in their time. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Thus, we are to feel privileged that we live at this time. In God's plan. Peter gets this sense of privilege when he writes in the last chapter, chapter 5, verse 1, that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. What the Old Testament prophets wrote about, studied, and longed to see, he saw fulfilled. 
And this aspect of the privilege of a Christian in relation to time is taught to us by Jesus, Matthew 13, 16, and 17. He says to his disciples, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Thus, we are to have this sense of privilege that we are living as a Christian now in the bright A.D. era and not in the dim B.C. era. Jesus has come. He has lived. He has died. He has risen. He has ascended. In 1861, the first color photo was taken by Thomas Sutton. Imagine how transformational that photo was for photography and for films. Till then, it was black and white, shades of black and shades of white. But but in that moment of the color photography, he took a picture of a tartan ribbon with all the, the, the myriads of colors in the tartan showing through. The red and the green and the blue, the brown, was all there to see. How transformational that moment was. And we, today, do not have a pencil sketch of the life of Jesus. A black and white picture from the Old Testament prophets of what his ministry would be like. But the life of Christ in its full color. Recorded in the Gospels. What a privilege, Peter's arguing here, to be a Christian at this time. And surely that changes our reading of the Old Testament, doesn't it? And our desire to read the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament's theme is the very same as the New Testament's theme. They spoke of the sufferings of Christ and salvation just as the New Testament does. And just as we need skill to understand the New Testament and the life and the ministry of Jesus, so we need skill to understand the Old Testament and the life and ministry of Jesus. Our privilege because of our time. But secondly, our privilege because of our blessings. Chapter 1, verse 12 announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The second reason Peter gives for Christians being privileged is the descent of the Holy Spirit on the church. Verse 12, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, involved in the creation of the world by hovering over those early waters. Who gave the prophets the word of their prophecies. Verse 11 states this. The Spirit of Christ in them. Who empowered Gideon and Samson and Jesus in their ministries has been sent down from heaven. The apostle says here to indwell all the members of the church. Not just the leaders, but all the members, the old, the young, men, women, the Holy Spirit sent 
from heaven. He indwells the minds of Christians to enable us to understand the truth of God. He indwells our hearts so that we can love God. He indwells our wills so that we can desire God. That is the event being referred to here. At Pentecost, 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, the Spirit was sent from heaven to the church. Roman emperors wanted to be considered as deities. Kings and queens have longed for the indwelling of God, symbolized and then being anointed with oil at their coronation. But all Christians have the experience of the indwelling of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. There is ongoing discussion about the role that the Holy Spirit played in Christians or believers in the Old Testament times. Did the Spirit indwell all believers in the Old Testament or just some believers? And the answer is not that clear. Certainly he indwelt the leaders in the Old Testament church, prophets, priests and kings were anointed with oil, a symbol of the Spirit indwelling and enabling them. Verse 11 mentions the Spirit and the prophets, a reference to the work of inspiration, bringing God's word from heaven and enabling them, guiding them to write it. But in a real sense, in a certain sense, the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven on the church at Pentecost. This event was prophesied by Joel and by other prophets. Joel 2, 28, it shall come to pass afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Ephesians 1, 13 states that when we hear the word of truth and believe in Jesus, we are sealed in that moment of conversion with the promised Holy Spirit. We are privileged to experience this fuller blessing and donation and outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. In the life of Samuel Rutherford, there's a, a gripping account of a stranger visiting him while he was minister in the, the little hamlet of Anworth. The stranger turned out to be none other than Archbishop Usher from Armagh, journeying home. And they had precious fellowship together on that occasion. How much greater is it for us than our life? The Holy Spirit dwells within us, in our minds, in our hearts in our choices. Sometimes we ask what transformed Peter, the cowering Peter, the, the, the Christ-denying Peter from being so timid and retiring into a bold preacher and witness for Jesus. And often we answer that question with, with the answer, the resurrection of Jesus. That's what transformed Peter from being so weak into being so bold. But a better answer is, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So let us today, as we end a year and start a new year, ministers, elders, deacons, members, 
children desire the filling of the Holy Spirit in our life so that we will live as a Christian should live, that we will pray as a Christian should pray, that we will serve as a Christian should serve, that we will witness as a Christian should witness. What privileged times we live in. The Holy Spirit has been sent out in a fuller and greater measure on every believer. Thirdly, our experience. The last phrase in this paragraph, verse 12, is fascinating, isn't it? Things into which angels long to look. Long to look, to study, to stare, to gaze at in wonder. Angels study believers. One of my elders in a previous congregation walked to school when he was five years of age. One day the headmaster strongly warned all pupils in the school not to go near a local disused quarry. You know where this story is going, don't you? It so happened this quarry was on the mile and a half route that he walked every day. And so the inquisitive boy of five years old climbed over the gate on his way home to explore the quarry. There he was. As we head looking over the edge of this vast cavern, his little eyes bulging. That's the idea in this word in verse 12. Long to look means to peer into with wonder, amazement, thrill. It's used in John 20 verse 11 of Mary going to the empty tomb. And the word there is she peered into the tomb with wonder, amazement, thrill. And here's the angels of heaven looking over, one writer says, the battlements of heaven and looking down into the church and into the experience that we have, studying it, wondering at it. And because of their action and their interest, we're to appreciate the privilege that we have. They study two things. Firstly, the experience of salvation. In verse number 12, the angels are looking into the good news. The experience of grace in the hearts of a Christian. They are looking into this experience of conversion, regeneration from a distance. This is outside of their experience. They've never been forgiven. They've never been saved. Jesus has never died for them in that atoning sense. They've been able to study creation. And they're creatures. They've been able to study providence. And they're under God's rule. But salvation is foreign to them. Outside of them. But they're intrigued by this. And they look into it. You remember Jesus mentions this in John. Luke 15, 10. When a sinner repents, Jesus says there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. They look into the conversion. Secondly, the experience of the love of Jesus for us in his sufferings. Verse 11, the sufferings of Christ. They explore this. They are not loved in that redemptive sense. They are loved as creatures of Christ and servants of Christ, but not as redeemed sinners. This is something foreign to them, beyond them, above them. And they study this 
with, with worship and praise and adoration. The just God forgiving guilty sinners. But how did Peter know about this? How does he have such insight into the interest of angels? Well, perhaps it was from the revelation of God to him as he wrote this letter. But there are hints of this in other parts of Scripture, aren't there? Some people see this interest of the angels depicted in the posture of the cherubims over the Ark of the Covenant. The the cherubims are there and they're looking down. Their faces are looking down at the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And perhaps Peter has that in mind. They're looking into the atonement, the sufferings of Christ and salvation. Interest of angels is also expressed in their appearances in the ministry of, of Jesus. They're there at his birth, aren't they? They're there at his temptation, aren't they? They're there in Gethsemane when he's wrestling with God's will. They're there at his resurrection. They're there at his ascension. The angels are there and they're looking in to the plan of redemption. They have an interest and a delight and a love to explore the redemptive work of God. Then the New Testament church recorded in the book of Acts, the angels keep appearing to Philip, to Cornelius, to Peter in prison, to Paul in the shipwreck. And throughout the letters, they're frequently mentioned. And thus, we're to feel privileged because of our experience of salvation and the sufferings of Christ for us because this is something that interests the angels. If the angels delight in this and study this and explore this, we are to recognize the height and value that we have as being the objects of God's love and redemption. When buying a property, a common question that we have is, is there anyone else interested in it? And if there is, then our attention and thoughts are more focused if there's 20 people interested in this property. Because they're interested in it, we're more interested in it. And if we get the property, we feel thrilled and privileged that we got it and not them. And our sense of privilege as a Christian as we end this year should partly arise from the interest of angels in our salvation experience. If we could speak to the glorious, majestic, holy, mighty Michael or Gabriel today who dwell before the throne of Almighty God and ask them, and what are you studying today? We would expect them to say, God. But they reply, you, studying you today. The grace and the love and the salvation of God in your heart. Their interest in us Our salvation should encourage us to explore our experience of salvation more. They study our experience. They want to know as much about it as possible. And so should we. We should explore the distinguishing aspects of our salvation. Justification, adoption, regeneration, salvation, reconciliation, the nuances, the riches, the depths of our salvation should be explored by us to strengthen our sense a privilege. So Karen Jobs comments, clearly the gospel message is of great value. 
if it is the focus of attention of the prophets of old and of the angels of heaven. We do feel privilege about many items in our life, don't we? We consider our cars and are grateful that we're not driving an old model T Ford, unreliable and drafty. We look at our phones and are glad the old smelly, dirty phone box experience is long in the past. We consider our computers and are thrilled the age of the typewriter and the tipex is gone. As we consider many of our modern items, we have a sense of gratitude and privilege. But let us primarily consider our privilege as a Christian. Our time, our blessings, our experience. Attaining a sense of privilege in our life of being a Christian. It will weaken our pride. It will gladden our heart. It will destroy our covetousness. And it will enable us to see how wonderful Jesus truly is. If you're not yet a Christian, you become a Christian and enjoy these privileges by doing what all Christians here have done, by repenting of your sins and by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour.